Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, next week, 10 Viacom CBS will hold its upfronts for 2022, and it'll be a bit different, a bit more corporate than the usual affair the company puts on. That's because this new look machine needs to unpack to the market that it's a full service media company across broadcast, ad supported catch up, and streaming services. And now with Paramount Plus, a subscription streaming service which also has a light ad load on parts of the platform like sport. And 10 Viacom CBS is moving with velocity on its diversity and inclusion strategy on screen and off. There's some really interesting conversations there around whether it's ahead of audiences or in step, and we'll get to a bit of that later. So on the mics today to talk through the bustling 10 Viacom CBS portfolio and full service media agenda are the company's two co-leads, Chief Content Officer Beverly McGarvey and the sort of recently arrived Chief Operating and Commercial Officer Jared Villani. Welcome to you both. To Beverly first, um, as we've mentioned, this year's upfronts were a little different. Um, the market essentially needs to understand a little more about what a full service media company looks like at 10 Viacom CBS and how content and commercial partners run across all these assets, Bev. Give us a bit of an update and fill in on, on what's cooking over in this big business of yours that's, um, that's reinventing itself. Welcome, by the way. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Um, I think it it is actually simpler than it sounds. What we you know, have talked about at the upfront and um, what we believe and how we position our business is that we will maintain and grow our scale in linear, including pay linear, um, whilst we grow our streaming assets. And that's not obviously just 10 play, but recently, as you said, we launched Paramount Plus. So maintaining those two things together is really what's important. And what that gives us is a capacity to communicate with audiences in different ways. It gives us lots of different distribution um, channels in which we can communicate with those audience. And it allows us to do content a little bit differently. And therefore, offering a better outcome for our audience obviously offers a better outcome for all of our clients and partners. In your upfronts and what you really want the market to understand about how different it is, you sort of say it sounds a little bit more simple than than perhaps I portrayed it. But what does the market need to understand about what this business is now? I think what we say is we're a full service broadcaster. Of course, we have our linear business, but we also have a very um, quickly growing streaming service. And that is the most critical thing. We know, you know, we've been doing upfronts for a long time, as everyone has. You know, of course, we want to get those content messages across and for our clients to understand what we're doing on linear and, you know, that we'll be offering, you know, consistent content and, you know, targeting the under 50s and all of those things that we always talk about. But this year as well, you know, we really hope that now people understand that our growth in streaming is critical and we are investing a lot of you know, money, time and effort into fast tracking that streaming growth. And that is critical for audiences and partners um, at the same time, supporting our linear businesses and continuing to invest there. All of those things 
are reliant only on each other. And when you add them all together, they're bigger than the sum of the parts. Um, that's kind of the messaging that we hope people have understood. Jared, uh, uh, Bev talks about sort of a quickly growing streaming service and you're, what, six months into the crazy game of media. Um, I'm, I'm hoping you're coping because uh, uh, it's a big feat if you are. How quickly is content consumption shifting across your portfolio with audiences? What are you seeing in terms of demand and content and how people are behaving? Just give us a quick, a quick sense across the platforms you've, you've got and welcome, Jared. Thanks, Paul. Um, great to be with you and, and your listeners today. So thanks so much for having uh, both Bev and I. I mean, in terms of um, the transition of, of viewership, I think it's important to put into context that you know, still 75% of all video viewing in home is done either through linear television or, or BVOD. So it still plays a massive role in the way in which we communicate to, to audiences. And when you think about that from an ad supported environment, you know, nearly 90% of all ads served within homes are served across linear television and BVOD. So it still has an enormous role in terms of the way in which um, corporate partners and advertisers reach and portray their messages to to Australian audiences. There is no doubt that there is a growing um, trend towards IP-based transfer, be that through um, live streaming or, or BVOD. In some cases, some of our program is achieving audiences um, in terms of its total audiences of 20% uh, coming through through plus, coming through BVOD. Um, when you think about the, the overall trends in terms of BVOD viewing, um, that has tripled in the last three years, um, albeit still small percentages in terms of to total TV viewing. Overall, BVOD is around about 6.5% of, of total TV viewing. Um, but when you look at certain demographics, 18 to 24s, for example, that climbs to 14%. So you can see over a period of time, we expect that that will um, rapidly grow and uh, we're investing heavily um, in that area. I think when you look at it from a from an SVOD perspective, you know there's something like you know 76 plus percent penetration of of SVOD services across Australian households. We expect that to grow um, uh, probably by another 10 to 15 percent over um, over the next three or four years. Is that percentage points? No, no, no. Overall, in terms of total penetration, so you know going from 75 percent to 85 percent probably over the next three to four years, and indeed the number of services also to grow. Um, you know, statistics tell you that it's about two and a half um, subscriptions per household currently of those who, who do participate, and we think that's probably going to um, grow by about 30 percent um, over over the next three to four years also. I think I saw some stats out of the US that say the average number of subscriptions in a household now is four to six. So there's a bit of headroom for growth, right? Absolutely. I mean, they, they, their numbers would suggest that um, the number of services per household could double, if not triple, um, in Australia. Right. Whether that's true, different price points and the way in which content is pulled together and, and um, the number of services you have to have in the US in order to access what you might want to see is probably a slightly different environment here in Australia, but but we certainly expect that to grow. The age group thing is interesting, Jared. So you are seeing growth across on, on IP-based platforms across all demos, all age groups. It's just that it's growing faster, as you'd expect in that sort of under-30s bracket, right? That's got to 
to say in any way that it's not growing across all demos. It certainly is. Got it. And so, Bev, um, well, I'll go to both of you on, on some some themes now. But um, so, Bev, in terms of how content and how you allocate content and distrib- distribute uh, content across your different channels, what's changed? Because, it, you know, you, you've been around uh, in, in broadcast for, for a while. It used to be broadcast only. How are you How are you kind of working out what you do with your content and where you land it? Give us a, maybe a couple of examples there. Okay. Well, first of all, like from, you know, being on the content side of the business, it's a really exciting time. It's brilliant to have all these platforms and to be able to give audiences different shows and different platforms. I think, you know, when we talk about 10, we talk about mass reach, family entertainment. We really target that under 50 audience. And that is really true across our entire portfolio of the, you know, the linear and pay assets. Um, and that's great. And that's where we do the survivors and the master chefs and the I'm a celebrity and project and those sorts of things. Um, and, and the catch-up numbers are really exciting um, for those prod- products on Template. The other thing that we're doing on Template, um, which is connected to all of that, as well as that content, we're doing what we call adjacent content. So, so Survivor's a hit on 10. What we have doing really well at the minute is Survivor South Africa on Template or Bachelor in Paradise US. So they're kind of adjacent to our brand. But if you're a really engaged consumer on those big brands that we build on the linear service, you can go a bit deeper on Template as well as using it as a catch-up service. Paramount Plus um, is slightly more autonomous than that. And what we're really doing there is super serving particular audiences. So you're really interested in a particular type of drama. You're a man over 40 and you're really into, for example, Dexter. You get super served that type of content or you're a 35 year old lady or you're a family audience and you want to watch Paw Patrol and Rugrats and The Last Airbender. What we can do on Paramount Plus is super serve bespoke audiences in a deep and meaningful way so that they can find one show, then another show, then another show. And that allows us to do kind of multiple niche, probably not quite niche, somewhere between niche niche and mass. So, um, you know, Five Bedrooms actually did a phenomenal job for us on Paramount Plus, and that's a brand that we built on 10, um, but it's done really well on Paramount Plus. It's not necessarily a niche show, but Australian drama really appeals to a particular audience. We're about to launch a show on um, Paramount Plus called Spreadsheet. And it's a really good example because Spreadsheet is the sort of content that Australian audiences would really want. It's a female-led half-hour comedy. And as you know, half-hour comedy is really challenging in Australia, but there's an appetite for it. And this is a particular edgy version of that. So it's something that we might have looked at two years ago and said, this is a great script. It has a great cast. It'll do okay on linear, but probably not enough to justify the investment because of the utility we get out of the content and Paramount Plus. And it doesn't matter what it rates last night. It's over the lifetime of the show that matters um, and how it drives subs and how it engages people. We can make our investment decisions in a slightly different way. And what that gives us is the capacity to commission more broadly and to acquire more broadly. And therefore, we can be more um, considered across all of our platforms in serving those different audiences. So it's actually um, a great thing that we can do all of those things for all of our audiences. Mm. And so, you know, just to be clear, with, with Paramount Plus, we'll you you will move uh, or carry uh, most or all of what's on your linear and BVOD and streaming platforms. They will also sit in Paramount Plus as well. So the entire series of current series of whatever it might be, you know, Survivor, Bachelor and so forth, do they carry on Paramount Plus as well in, in full? It's very likely that most of them will. There's obviously some rights complications on particular titles, but in principle, it is very likely that they will all land there. Now, shows that have already played on 10 and 10 play are not necessarily acquisition drivers. That's more about retention. So, you know, you might have 
60 hours of MasterChef. If you're a MasterChef fan, you're going to watch it when we play it at 7.30 on a Sunday night. But maybe, you know, it's the Christmas holidays and you're a big fan of whatever and you might just do a deep dive and watch 10 episodes. Um, so it, that is more about content utility as opposed to acquisition drivers. The acquisition drivers are the big premium dramas, the big local originals and all those sorts of things that we've talked about. Spreadsheet, Last King of the Cross, Five Bedrooms, as well as the brilliant Showtime content. We've got a lot of great Showtime coming, content coming up. Um, the kids content is like the secret sauce and a streaming service it does really well um and and also there's great movies and the movies again when you think about something like infinite and the price point of paramount plus that's a theatrical movie for you know nine dollars you can have that you know it's a first run feature with mark Wahlberg. your whole family can watch it those sorts of things are really important as well you know those kind of little clever eventy spiky things well jared talked about earlier about the the headroom growth for for more more services subscription services in the australian market with paramount plus what is the plan there to drive your drive your subscription growth um there's, there's i think you've got a big marketing efforts planned as you say off platform what does that lot look like in terms of driving subs growth for paramount plus and is it is it sort of some of those a bit like the, the netflix model where you use the new or the originals to drive subs growth but in fact a lot of the consumption in the platform is all back catalog i don't know whether you're seeing that with paramount plus as well but what is what is the plans there bev and jared really your thoughts on that well i i think from a marketing point of view we've we've got a few pieces of work to do um we have to build the Paramount Plus brand and we're very early days there. So the great thing for us is I think when we launched Paramount Plus, whatever, you know, six weeks ago, whatever it is now, um, what we felt like is we, we had gotten to the beginning of the race. You know, the launch was the beginning. Right. So now we have to do all the brand work. We have to build the brand and we have to build the show brands. So you'll see a lot of off-air activity. The great thing that we have and the off-air activity, the marketing investment, you know, that is what it is. And you can see all the SVOD competitors play heavily in that space. And we need to make sure that we get our share of voice there, which we will do. What are you spending on that, Bev? Well, we'll not talk about that, obviously, but, you know, nice try. Um, Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And and then on-air, what we have is the capacity to communicate with like-minded, linear audiences and transfer those audiences across. And you... You may have missed it, but hopefully you did not. We did a, a big Paw Patrol cross promotion on The Masked Singer. So The Masked Singer obviously appeals to your family audience. We have, you know, lots of Paw Patrol content on Paramount Plus, including Paw Patrol movies. So we had a special guest appearance by Rubble, the yellow pup, on The Masked Singer. So we also have access to that sort of money can't buy inventory that can promote Paramount Plus. So in terms of all of our planning, we really want to drive. Did that work, by the way? How did that, did it work? Yeah, it did work. It did work. So we start to see the Paw Patrol content um, coming, you know, jumping up in the trends and more people fighting the Mighty Pups movie and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and it, it, we've done lots of those sorts of things. We could give you 10 examples and you'll continue to see that because, yeah. you know, when we talk about the entire business, using the whole of the business is what we need to do. Um, also, obviously, the critical thing in driving subs is premium content, content that people want to, you know, they, you know, we've lots of great stuff coming up. You know, there's been the reboot of Dexter. We've got a Ray Donovan movie. We've got a couple of really premium Showtime series as, lo- as well as the ro- local originals. So all of that is critical. But your point is right. People come and they'll watch their six, eight, ten episodes of the big new series. But also there's a lot of um, comfort viewing in the known IP. And the great thing about the structure of Paramount Plus is we get the we get the sexy tent post through Showtime, but we have a lot of great library content through CBS, your NCISs and all those sorts of shows. We have both of those things. So that is how we plan to, you know, drive and retain subs. And I think you make a point there that um, there is a there is a, a, a sort of a nuanced difference. It might be subtle, but it's 
quite significant in terms of, say, if we're comparing what Nine and Stan are doing versus what you're doing with Paramount, you've got this big access to a, a, a big um, sort of content library international that you think is, is going to give you a, a good a good competitive advantage there. Well, um, a streaming service is a hungry base that you need to feed with lots of new shows all the time. So to have that assured continuity of a content pipeline um, gives us a lot of confidence in the long-term future of the service. Mm. Jared, um, how does how does this uh, change up what commercial partners can do and how they should think about leveraging the, the, the 10, uh, 10 portfolio, the 10 CBS Viacom portfolio? Well, it's a nuanced point, Paul, but <clears throat> I think when you listen to Bev describe how our um, content transports across our various platforms. You think about it from an integration perspective. If you take an integration um, on Survivor, that integration obviously will appear on Linear, it will appear on Tenplay, and when it transfers across to the <clears throat> somewhat different audience on on SVOD, those integrations remain. Of course, it's not an ad-supported service when it comes to general entertainment, mm. but the integration of those products remain there and you're tapping into an audience for which we don't presently charge for, but you're tapping into a into an audience which perhaps um, are less likely to engage with that content on a on a traditional platform through linear or, or through BVOD. So I think there's, there's wonderful um, nuanced um, advantages for for commercial partners in in dealing with Viacom CBS. It's a smart way, isn't it? It's a smart way for to, to to still get to the ad avoiders, if you like. That's right. I mean, we we view all of our platforms as one ecosystem, and it's a case of you know Bev and her team being able to plot the pathway for um, each of our assets and each of our pieces of content and their pathway across our um, our platforms. But certainly, from an advertiser's perspective you can reach the full spectrum of audiences through Viacom CBS. And indeed, that's the way we view all of our business pool, that whether we're talking about Paramount Plus or we're talking about 10 Play or we're talking about MTV, Nickelodeon, et cetera, they are all part of the Viacom CBS um, portfolio here in Australia. We don't run those businesses separately. Bev and I have oversight to all of those businesses and and we try and utilise those assets the best way that we see fit across across our platforms. How, how is the understanding and, and even the receptivity uh, of that that sort of scenario landing with, say, media agencies and, and advertisers, Jared? Are they, are they getting that, that or is this the education job you're working on now? Um, certainly those conversations have started and um, they have mainly been built around the A-leagues at the moment. Right. And that's because that is an ad-supported product, so it's easier um to have those conversations at the moment. The more nuanced points that I referred to earlier about branding existing in an SVOD environment um, in, the, in the way in which integrations would on Survivor, for example, then um, I think that is part of the education process that we're moving towards um, at the moment. But it's certainly a very live conversation when we're talking about the A-Leagues. So let's go to diversity and inclusion, Bev. Um, in many ways, uh, you guys are leading the charge on this, at least in a broadcast context. You're very overtly and publicly committing to uh, your diversity and inclusion on and off screen. Um, really interesting uh, question here is, are you ahead of the Australian audience or in step with it? How is it landing when you're starting to really move on what you're doing on and off screen with, with your DNI diversity and inclusion um, strategy? I don't think we're ahead of the Australian audience. I think we would like to think that we're in step. I think all of us have to do a better job in those areas, and we are certainly committed to doing that. Um, you know, on-screen representation, 
and what that means off screen and making sure that we kind of live by those values off screen is really important to us. Um, it's also really important to our partners. It is important to lots of brands and it's very important to our audience. So I think, you know, we have to make sure that we're in step that we reflect Australian side society as it looks now. And I think there's been quite a an amount of change over the last couple of years in terms of people demanding and expecting better from all of their media companies in that regard. And we all need to get better at servicing that audience. And I think our clients and partners are also um, part of that process and they see that change as well and need to respond and it, it it is the right thing to do it is also commercially the right thing to do um so it is really important to us locally it is also really important to our parent company and it's been important to us for a long time and reflecting society on screen always results in a better show and when you think of a show like MasterChef the authenticity that we get from having cast members from a wide range of backgrounds makes the show better because food is such a unifying part of living that if we were not to cast that show in a way that reflected Australia, the show wouldn't be as good. So I think it has always been more important. It's always been important and it's more important now and we're working hard to be better at it. How do you measure that, Bev? Have you got any indicators that say audiences are broadening or you're attracting new audiences because of diversity or is it just a is it is, what are your kpis on that is there any is there anything oh there are kpis and there are a range of things and you know there are a range of different things you know we have um in the last couple of years um started our rap process at 10 and there are kpis around that but in the most basic level we should be reflecting back at australians the society that they live in and people who live in our society and watch our shows and engage with our content should see themselves on screen. Um, and that is, it is a large, large undertaking. And, it, you know, the DEI issues are not just about race or gender. It's about all sorts of different things. Um, and so I think we are on a quick learning curve with it. But we certainly see a strong response when we get it right. We also see a strong response when we get it wrong. And I think, you know, this is something that Jared and I talk about. By putting ourselves out there a bit, we know that we're going to get some things wrong, but that doesn't mean we won't keep doing it and fixing it and doing it better because we have to keep trying and we don't think we'll get everything right 100% the first time. Nobody will. So I, I think that's important that you kind of have to allow yourself not to get it right a bit so that you can continue to do it better. Give us one example of, of each, if you can recall, uh, on the hop, you know, a really good example of getting it right and a, and a great example of getting it wrong and the learnings that come from that. So have you got something you can talk about there? I'll talk about, I'll talk about hopefully getting it right. So um, we have just cast Brooke Blurton as um, our bachelorette. And she is, and, and I think that is about getting it right because Brooke is, reflective of the society that she grew up in and she's a very very strong young woman and what she wants to do is find her person and for her that person may be male they may be female she just wants to find somebody that she connects to and she happens to be a very strong young lady with an indigenous background now we cast Brooke because she's funny and brilliant and articulate and is in the right place with the bachelor and bachelor you've got to be ready you've got to be ready to find the one so she is all of those things but I also think she's very proud of who she is she's very articulate about who she is and that that authenticity makes her a really interesting bachelorette because she's really committed to to herself and her values so I think that's 
getting it right. I think it probably would have been much harder to do that even 10 years ago. So I think now is the right time. Gee, even five years ago, right? I reckon five years ago you might have had some Yeah, push. probably. Yeah. Um, getting it wrong, it's more about – I, I probably don't have a strong specific example, but in terms of getting it wrong, where we tend to get it wrong – generally, and this is probably true of every business, is that we all have a particular life experience. Uh, you know, you, me and Jared have a particular life experience. Person XYZ has a different life experience. And I think the hardest thing is not to apply the rules of your own circumstance to everyone and to be empathetic and acknowledge that not everybody has the same privilege or the same upbringing or the same values that we have or that they have. And it's just about being open to other people's input. And some of the things that we've done internally at 10 have tried to bring different people in the business who who have different backgrounds or different life experience so that they can get more involved in the processes of us trying to get it right. Because it isn't something that you tell people to do. It has to be iterative. The business has to own it and want to do it. So I think that's more likely how we get it right. And if, if it was just you know, if it comes from the top of the business, I don't necessarily think that that works. You ha- it has to be something that the whole business owns. Well, full disclosure, and it'll be a surprise to you both, but I think I've got it wrong in my life about three and a half billion times. So yeah, it's a fairly natural thing to do, isn't it? Um, so Jared, Jared, um, Bev talked about, you know, reflecting and representing society. Um, the APL and the A-Leagues is a really interesting example of this and what, what, what TEN has done um, in that deal. Just talk us through uh, what that's about, including, you know, your small equity stake and, and, and how that sort of almost reflects what uh, the diversity, what, what the APL is doing, the A-Leagues, is really sort of aligned with what you're doing um, at, 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 the, at the network, right? It does. And when we looked at both the A-Leagues deal and the Football Australia deal, um, you know, we looked at the position of that sport um, in this country, both in terms of its growth potential. You know, it's the largest participation sport Football is the largest participation sport in Australia. Um, it is very close to having um, um, a 50-50 split between um, boys and girls, males and females, um, in terms of its participation levels. And we know that that's an objective of Football Australia over the next um, three years in, in, and and uh, building on the um, benefits and promotion of the, of the Women's World Cup. So that very much aligns with the position that um, we are as an organisation, the way in which we want to promote the um, partnerships that we have, the content that we have. So we were attracted initially to football because we think it's got great growth prospects and because it reflects who we are as an organisation in terms of the direction they want to take um, that sport. In terms of our equity stake. It's a small minority um, equity stake, but it's very symbolic, we think, as to how we view partnerships with sporting bodies. Um, We have a view across Viacom CBS that it doesn't really matter whether we're talking about sporting bodies or or other content providers. The partnership is really critical because things are never going to work out the way in which either of us have planned perfectly. So how is it that we engage as an organisation with our counterparties to ensure that um, that we continue to propel, in the case of the A-Leagues, the sport forward um, and leave it in a better place. Hopefully, we are long-term partners. Um, we obviously have a, a you know a, a long-term deal with them already, but hopefully that extends, all being well. And 
Um, but if it didn't, that you've left the sport as we did with the Big Bash in, in a much better location than, than where you picked it up from. We are custodians of the sport, just like the sporting um, bodies themselves are. And that's very much how we how we view our, our relationship with sporting bodies, be it the A-Leagues, Football Australia, or the VRC through the Melbourne Cup Carnival. And, and with this one, you know, again, it's going to go across all your platforms. The A-League is going to go across all platforms. You, you'll use Linear and BVOD and, and live streaming, I assume, 10 Play for some stuff, and then Paramount Plus will also carry it. And I guess this goes to your earlier point, there's the integration plus ad opportunities to this because Paramount Plus and your sport on that will carry some ad light, light ad loads, I think. Yes, it will. Um, and you're quite right that those – the, the sport will live across all of our platforms. There is a very large volume of, of football um, that can carry across all of our platforms. Um, on Saturday nights, we will have um, a A-Leagues men's game on, on Network 10. That game will be simulcast uh, on Paramount Plus and on 10 Play. And then there will be a second game, um, at least one second game, that will also be broadcast on Paramount Plus. So Paramount Plus will, will carry... Um, all games of the A-Leagues and so both men and women's, Paramount Plus will carry all of those and 10 and 10 Bold will on Saturday evenings with, uh, with the, the men's league and, um, and on Sunday afternoons on 10 Bold with the, with the women's league. Got it. And so it does lead me to um, sort of we're, we're getting to the end of this conversation. But, um, Pabev, I'm interested in your, in, in your perspective on this because the APL has sort of essentially in-housed its entire sort of media production and distribution. It's building a big digital media hub. Um, it used to be the fact that uh, it used to be the case, you know, common that the broadcasters would do all that. Um, it's gone in-house. What's your sense on this? Are they even trying, they're even talking about, you know, moving it even further beyond what AFL uh, media unit, the AFL media unit, it's done. What's your sense on the in-housing here and the fact that they ever in doing their the, the broadcast production is being is being done by by the APL as well rather than the broadcaster? Your sense on all that in-housing stuff? Um, I don't think it's surprising, and it's also not new. Um, in the UK, they've been doing it for years, and many years ago, Manchester United had their own, you know, they had their own TV channel, like probably twenty years ago, maybe longer. So I don't think it's odd for big sporting bodies to take control of their own media assets. Um, so we have no problem with that and we will work with them and utilise what they provide and add some additional things around it to make sure that our broadcast is the quality that we want it. Um, and and I, I also think it's interesting for them to pull it in-house because from a broadcast point of view, now this is not true with the APL because as Jared said, we have games on linear, we have games on template and we have absolutely everything um, live on Paramount Plus. So we're showing everything. But for some sporting codes, they may have some fixtures that don't get covered and they may want to have that covered for whatever reason and put on their own channels or whatever. Now, as it happens, we will ha we'll have every every game of, you know, kind of um, A-League, W-League. Um, but they have other leagues as well. So it makes a lot of sense to me. I don't see any problem with it. And it makes sense that, you know, sports organisations want to control their own media and their own media assets. It's not new. I think probably just all the different sporting codes here at a different position in terms of their life cycle of getting that sorted, you know. Got it. Um, final final question um, for, for you, Bev, is um, going into next year, it's a continuation in terms of your content strategy. You'll come in early New Year uh, with with your shows and normally the, sort of everything gears around historically around the rating season, but you you, you bring all that forward. Um, so what is the what is the sort of the content plan and timing and schedules that you're thinking about for, for next year? 
for a variety of reasons, we are launching I'm a Celebrity again on January 3, which we did last year. It was incredibly successful. It gave us really strong year-on-year growth, but also it gives us a really strong start out of the gate. Um, we come out of I'm a Celebrity and straight into Survivor, which also is very successful for us. We didn't have Survivor in Q1 this year. We didn't have Survivor in Q1 this year because we couldn't get it made in time because of last year's lockdowns but we managed to get through this year's lockdowns and we do have a series of survivor ready for q1 and once you get through i'm a celebrity survivor master chef we're kind of into that pattern that we have big franchises all year and then we have you know hyper on a monday night goggle box on a thursday night we have cheap seats really just finding it speaking to tuesday night some really strong audiences and demos and that will be there and continue to build living rooms on a friday the projects there so for us it's about maintaining that consistent schedule so that our clients know where they can find audiences but also there's some things that we need to improve upon um, and that gives us the opportunity to, to add some new formats into the schedule. You know, about this time next year, we'll have some new formats coming into the schedule What we've talked that we've talked about, for example, Hunted uh, and those sorts of things. We're also adding some comedy due to our success um, in terms of Hyper and Gogglebox. We're adding some new comedy in just to really kind of double down on our commitment to that. Goes really well with audiences, skews young. Um, so really it's about consistency, maintaining the big brands, but also adding some fresh content and, and fresh shows in just to keep it all feeling fresh as we, you know, maintain that consistent base. And how's final one? I did say final last time, but this promise is the final one. How, what's your sense on coming out of COVID? So, you know, television's benefited, viewing's benefited because of lockdowns and sort of what we can and can't do. There will be a lot of people busting. I think all the restaurants are booked out till the de- end of December now, I'm told, uh, by people who are good at that stuff. Um, so there's everyone want to break out. What's your sense in terms of what happens to viewing uh, next year as people, at least in the in the early stages, make up for what's been lost for the last, you know, 18 months? Oh, it's a really good question. And I think we saw a bit of it this year. I think the interesting thing is we're coming out of lockdown, hopefully, you know, across the board as we come into summer. We generally see sets and use declining at that time of year. Anyway, what we do what we do see, though, is an increase in um, streaming services, because, as you say, people might go to a restaurant, come home at 10 o'clock and watch three episodes of their favorite show. So I think we will take advantage now that we have a streaming service of that slight lull, um, you know, maybe over that early, early December period. Um, I think in terms of um, people living their lives and doing other things, they will absolutely. And it's up to us to create kind of eventy content that they want to come and watch. So, you know, for example, Celebrity last year did really well and that was kind of peak summer. People were allowed to be free, but we still do well with that type of content because, you know, you can't be at the beach at quarter to eight at night, thank goodness. So we still, you know, I think the sets and use will shift a bit, but once we get into daylight savings next year, I think things will start to settle as we get into that winter period. And we always have a shift in viewing over summer. Um, So, of course, we'll see that. And as I said, we'll take advantage of that this year with Paramount+. Plus. Bev and Jared, good to talk and a really timely update on on what uh, what the business is looking like. So thanks for joining Catch Up Surely in the next few months. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.